This call is being recorded. Hello, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bo coming to you Thursday night, uh, May 7th. I, uh, you know, we took a, about a week between podcasts this time after doing two during quarantine the week before. Um, and, you know, I, I, Josh has been writing these really fun articles, uh, essentially based on the the unheralded games of the Mavericks final run in 2011. And this week, uh, the, the Mavericks uh, or Fox Sports Southwest has been airing the Thunder series, or at least the Thunder victories. The Mavericks won that series four to one. And Josh wrote a great article, which if you haven't read it, I'm linking it in the, you know, the post. I'm linking it in the podcast, uh, like download for your options. Everyone should go read it because it's really good. But Josh, so, you know, let's just start with something broad. Like, why did you pick game three? Uh, well, you think about the other three wins that they're replaying. Game one is that crazy dirt game where he had like 48 points on 15 shots. And I think that game gets like replayed a lot. Uh, game four, they had the crazy 15 point comeback with like four minutes left, which I vividly remember. And I'll never forget that also gets like replayed a lot in highlight reels and, and things like that. And then game five, of course, the clincher. I think we've probably both seen that Dirk three to put them up late. like. 800,000 times by this point. And I think that's seared into everyone's brains with him walking back and the Dirk letters in the crowd as he's walking back after he hits it. So I felt like this was really the one to write about in terms of the maybe not as memorable games. And it was, man, what it was like a, it was like a 93 to 87. 87. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a slug fest. Uh, it was Dirk's one of Dirk's worst games in the playoffs. Really? I he shot like seven of 21 or seven of 20 from the floor. He only had 18 points. And they, it was just like the second half was just them holding on for dear life after playing so brilliantly in the first half. And it really had a chance to be like an okay, uh, like a Portland Brandon Roy kind of game where they just kind of collapse on the road with like a really roaring crowd and a young team. So it, it, it was like a really swinging game. I mean, the series was tied at one and, and they were able to reclaim home court advantage and uh, they won ugly, which I think is a theme of that 2011 team is we keep, you know, reminiscing about them. We talk about the threes and the ball movement and how great Dirk was, but I, they were really versatile and they really won in a variety of ways. And this was another way they could win. They just kind of grounded out the thunder uh, and held on until the clock ran out and Dirk gave him enough buckets at the end. I'm going to, I'm going to show my ass here a little bit because I, so I remember the Lakers series almost every moment. It's just kind of seared into my memory. I've talked about why before, but the thunder series, I just don't remember as much. I remember obviously game one. I really don't even remember parts of game five. I did not remember this being a one, one, tie that the thunder won game two Mm -hmm. and so this i can just kind of in that context alone where this series you know this game they slugged it out and they took control and you know because they won this game then they won the next two like the the mavs like it's a 4-1 sweep but each game is decided by single digits at least in the final margins which is pretty you know it's pretty not surprising because again that thunder team was just outstanding but it's it's one of those things that kind of gets lost in the larger narrative uh, just because of, you know, some of the things that happened in this game and then really throughout the series. So that's that's really something. I didn't know that it was quite that 
quite that close. So like yeah. what was what was it like watch you know so the Mavericks get up big and then they they just essentially hold on like what's the yeah what's they were the up feeling watching that. It, it it was kind of weird to feel tense watching it knowing like the outcome <laughs> like I was like god like cuz it really was like it's so shocking that they they held on to win because Something that I really forgot uh, is, man, those early OKC teams, that OKC crowd was unbelievable. Like those 2009, 2010 to like 2012, 13, those crowds were wild. And I mean, like like college football, but in a small arena, like it's so loud. Yeah. And it was like, you think about the NBA today and the explosion of popularity that they got after the you know, LeBron going to Miami and, you know, Steph and the Warriors dynasty, LeBron go back to Cleveland. Like the NBA was probably, you know, started its like mega supernova run around like, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017. And so you think about it and like, obviously the NBA was popular back in 2011, but now like if you try to go to any NBA game, it can be really, you know, it's expensive to go to games. I'm sure, I'm sure it was back then, you know, in 2011, but I don't know, just the sense of it, I feel like the, you know, it is really home crowds can be a little different because with the prices going up that I, you know, this is just me like assuming out my ass, but you just assume that it's a little bit more of the frou-frou people buying seats in the lower bowl as tickets are so expensive now since the league is so popular now. And back in that 2011, I don't know, it just, like you said, it felt like a college crowd and like, man, the Thunder are down 23 and like, the Thunder make a shot to get it down to 21 and they're yelling like they just won the game. And it's just like, I was just like, man, they never let up. And so I can't imagine how the Mavericks were able to hold on. Cause it was just like, they, it felt like they never got a break. And to cap it off, I think with like two minutes left, the Thunder had 33 free throws and the Mavs had 12. And it was like, they didn't get the benefit of the doubt on the whistle. The crowd literally never gave them a chance to relax. Like they were always into the game. You know, Dirk shooting horribly. It's like, well, how did they do this? And they did it because they just were just one step ahead, I think, of the Thunder team that was still a little inexperienced. And their defense is just crazy good. Like, probably the most underrated part of that 2011 team is just how solid they were one through five on defense and as a collective unit. So, for people that don't remember, the early Thunder team, guys in their early 20s, like barely able to drink, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden all of which played 35 minutes or more. I'm looking at the box score of this game right now, and you're going to crack <laughs> up. You're going to crack up at this. This is just how much basketballs change. Kendrick Perkins plays 30 minutes and is a negative 10. Serge Ibaka <laughs> plays 23 minutes and is a negative 19. I mean, Ooh. I mean, in a game that's this close, it's those sorts of things to where the Thunder, had they just spread it out a little bit more in retrospect, I mean, that's three MVPs on one team. Like, they were outstanding then, even with these things working against them. And you just kind of look at that over over the course of things, and it's, it, I mean, it's it's just kind of crazy to, to think about that, that that's how, um, that that's just, you know, how it ended up for them as as things went on. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think the Thunder, they played two bigs the whole, the whole game. So, like, there was always one. There was either... Perkins and Ibaka, and then Collison would come in, and it would be two of those three on the floor all the time. Well, and you know, when you're looking at how they're guarding, the Mavericks mm-hmm. were a really, really outstanding rebounding team from start to finish. Like, if you go player by player, 
Um, you know, Dirk is essentially like the third best rebounder on the floor in a lot of situations because Marion and Chandler are so good. And then Dirk is an outstanding rebounder and so is Jason Kidd. So yep. I can understand why they did it because the Mavericks really, you know, they're, they're kind of built to like stretch teams at the breaking point. But yeah. I don't, I'm, that- I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I might, I might <laughs> look through after we're done here, but like, I'm really curious, like as to what, the game by game stats were for like Kendrick Perkins. Like if he's just like a constant negative for all these games, like that's gotta be something. And I think that was his first, I think that was his first year in OKC. I think he got traded to the team at the trade deadline of that, that season. I think. Cause and they got him cause they got him because the Lakers had Gasol, Bynum and Odom. And like, you were just like, we got, they needed another guy to Mm -hmm. to guard Bynum and Gasol cause they couldn't just have a Baca do it. And then, they literally trade for Perkins as soon as the league is like, nah, you don't need two bigs anymore. And that was kind of the genius of the Mavs team is because as teams were going playing two bigs at once, the Mavs can play two bigs, but not, you know, one of them's one of them's Dirk. So like they just had that in here. It was like, they got to play small ball, but not, they never had to play actual small ball when the era still demanded two bigs. Okay. This is weird. So the first three games, Perkins goes negative eight, negative 14, <laughs> negative 10. And then he finishes plus nine and plus one. So maybe it's not just Perkins. Maybe it's just a, I, I, I really love hating on Perkins. Yeah, like I was about to say you needed to get that in. It's, it's just a professional hobby of mine. <laughs> so I want to circle back to the thunder in a second, but you wrote a really, you know, you wrote about how Jason Kidd was essentially the calm in the storm during a game where the, the thunder, you know, Westbrook is not a good defender, but he's fretnik. And yes. at that point he's at his yes. athletic peak and kid only has like two turnovers. How in the world did that happen? I don't, he just, he did a very good job using his body. And I think that's another aspect of kid. You know, he was what, like six, five good frame. Um, he was, a, he was a big point guard. And I think he used that to his advantage. And I think he was very good at anticipating Westbrook and kind of using his body to shield him off, back him up, coming up the floor, things like that, being able to get rid of the ball early when he sensed a double team. Uh, and I think that was just, that was what kid brought. And you, he brought that and he, you know, he brought a shooting and his passing, but just the, the calmness because as great as Dirk is, Dirk can't dribble the ball up the floor and, and, and score every, you know, like that's just, He's a big, he needs the ball. He needs to get the ball in the half court. And, you know, I think going into that season and going into the seasons before the Mavericks had kid, you talked about Terry and was like, oh, is he really a point guard? You know, should he be the one guard on the floor to do all this? And I don't, I can't imagine how many debates I had in my high school gym, like, you know, after basketball practice about like, oh, is Terry the point guard that can actually do this? Do they need another guy? So like, Kid was crucial in there because it allowed Terry to just kind of play off ball a little bit more and not have to be the sole focus of a defense when he's bringing it up the court. And yeah, Kid was just, it was wild. And you, it's, it wasn't just Kid. Kid plays 37 minutes and two turnovers. Uh, Terry played 31 minutes, two turnovers. Brea played 14 minutes and had one turnover. Oh no, Terry had zero turnovers. So three turnovers for their three point guards in a huge high leverage game on the road against a defense that was like really, like you said, frenetic and athletic. It was just crazy. Just kind of displayed like the difference between the two teams, really. It's very funny because I was screwing around just on the internet waiting for you. um, And I 
something like triggered a memory and I, <laughs> I went to the web archive to look up the website fireavery.com, <laughs> uh, which was spawned as a result of Avery Johnson's truly terrible coaching decisions when the when the Mavericks uh, traded for Jason Kidd. Uh, he pulled them out. He pulled a kid out of a late game against the Spurs uh, that they ended up losing because he said Jason Kidd didn't know enough of the offense. <laughs> and you can trace a direct line between that moment and me being where I am now with Mavs Moneyball with you because I was so mad. And that just ended up being one of those like absolutely preposterous things. And it's so funny to look three years later that that kid – as time goes on, hope you know, there's just all the the way the Mavericks came together in 2011, where all of these very good pieces came to be a team that was so much better than than the individual parts, despite the parts being outstanding. You know, since we talked last, our our buddy Andy Tobo turned in a piece uh, to to our site because I've told him he can always write for us when he wants to. That that basically looks at the at the um, playoffs as a whole and really talks about how. In retrospect, the Mavericks are unheralded for really like pedestrian reasons, but they're a historically great team because they exploited things that hadn't been figured out yet. And and you, you know you you pair like their three point shooting with these really smart players, and you know I don't I don't want to do this yet. I think we should when we get to the finals, but we are going to have to talk about how bad the decision was to break up the team. I've been thinking yep. about that in the context of the Last Dance Bulls because. They should have had a chance to defend that title, just like the Bulls should have, and it was it was a bad decision. But anyways, let's let's circle back to to the to the next step. Did you have anything else to say about Jason Kidd? I just kind of did a soliloquy there. No, you're good. How about how about I read you off one more stat? Here's where his steals in each of the five games: three, five, four, four, one. <laughs> Average yeah. three point four steals a game. So. He yeah he was he was good he was very good controversial opinion JC Kidd was very good yeah oh yeah outstanding so you did have a really wild part about how um the Lakers and then you know the Lakers game you covered then the Thunder's game you covered both teams were just like horrendous from distance well, <laughs> yeah was that something you picked up on in game or was that something you just kind of noticed as you as you got further along. Oh, I definitely noticed it in the it, before the game was over because that's pretty much one of the bigger reasons why the Thunder lost. They had like four or five possessions in the fourth quarter where they literally got up threes with like 20 seconds on the shot clock and they're like not good threes like they would just like off balance, they were missing rim, hitting off the other side of the backboard. Like Daquan Cook had a couple, Westbrook had a couple, Durant had a couple and it was like geez like what are they doing like and like they're they were shooting like they were down eight with 30 seconds left and they're up 10 with two minutes left or or, or no i mean there's they were shooting like i don't know they just needed a different kind of game plan there i mean i know they were down they you know it's not like they needed to protect the lead they were down but it was just so weird uh, and that was not their strength and it was you know, none of those, you know, none of those guys were really considered shooters except for Durant and Cook. And you got these guys just taking these wild, horrible shots. Uh, Durant was 0 for 8 from 3. Like, I, you know, I wonder, like, if you look at his worst three-point shooting games, it's like, I don't, I wonder if he's had an 0 for game from 3 and, <laughs> and took as many as 8. Like, that might be his worst three-point shooting game ever. And he mm-hmm. had it 
in the playoffs against the Mavs. A lot of that was, you know, Marion and Kidd were very good, but man, if you if you want to, you know, just if you can find it and replay it, like you will just kind of guffaw at some of the threes they're taking, like late in that game. Like it is just it is crazy. Yeah, I mean, then that that was really the sign of the youth. And for people that don't remember, the Thunder went to the finals the next year. Like they yeah. were that <laughs> they were they were that good. Yeah. Um, you also had a great point. I mean, I don't know if it's a great point, but it made me laugh out loud at my desk when I was editing it about how James Harden <laughs> sucked to watch nine years ago. Like that's just <laughs> outstanding. So what knowing the player that he's become, what was it like watching him then? Because he was extremely effective for that team. Yeah, and it's funny because like I made that point in jest because he actually, you know, he he didn't obviously he didn't play anything like his the way he plays now. I mean, obviously, you know, similar terms of his skill set but you know he doesn't control you know he was very much an off-ball guy who would get you know Westbrook would create and then they would let James kind of run off secondary action and he was man he was so good because he was I mean that was Westbrook when he was still really raw and young and if you remember when Westbrook got drafted people weren't sure if he was going to be a great point guard you know he was kind of more of a scoring guard in college and Harden early on seemed to be a better kind of point guard facilitator uh, type guy. And obviously Westbrook developed into a really good point guard and a really good passer and, and you know, able to, to run a game in the half court, you know, except when he goes brain dead and shoots a bunch of threes. But, uh, you know, Harden was kind of the, the thing that kept that team going when they were bogged down. And, yeah, he had 23 points, 7-11 from the floor. Uh, and he still loved to flop, like, the play that – that I called out of that piece is just really funny. Chandler gets a rebound and kind of pivots and Harden just like literally walks into Chandler's arms and falls over. And he does get like, you know, Chandler's arm uh, hits him in the head, but it's only because Harden walks straight into him. Like, and it's obvious what he was trying to do. So I just thought that was funny. Like I only get to watch one game from the OKC series and I see something bullshitty from James Harden. I was like, okay, things the more things change, stay the same, yada, yada, yada. So that was fun. Well, okay. So you, you mentioned somebody there who also happens to be who you mentioned. The, we haven't even talked about him really yet. Was uh, Tyson Chandler, who you say should be the player of the game. So we've gotten this far into it. You say he should be the player <laughs> of the game, and we've not even really talked about him. So so why why was that? Um. It was, I mean, he had what? He had 15 rebounds, eight points, uh, two steals and a block. And past that, I mean, the Thunder just could not score at the rim. And, you know, Durant was 0 from 8 from 3, but he was also, you know, 7 of 22 from the field overall. Abaka was 4 of 11, Perkins 0 of 2, Westbrook 8 of 20. And when you consider that Mavs defense was all about funneling guys into Chandler, like that was kind of their their scheme. They would They would run guys off the line and they would, play really good help defense because they were a veteran team that communicated really well. And Chandler was a big part of that good communication and they just couldn't score like with Chandler, you know, near the basket. And he was just, just a monster effort. when you consider, you know, Dirk is good at, you know, moving and being in the right place at the right time when he was in his prime, but it was really, it was really Chandler, that backline effort and the thunder were so aggressive. I mean, they shot a hell of a lot of free throws. So Chandler had four fouls. So like, it wasn't like a total, like, you know, shutdown effort. They still got to the free throw line a bunch, but 
he really he really threw off any type of rhythm they wanted to get because you know those early thunder teams are all about just like trying to just out athlete you and jam the ball down your throat and and stuff it down the rim and you know chandler kind of kept kept that at bay as best as he could you know considering the circumstances well again these if you guys haven't read these stories i i really encourage you to because you know it's Focusing on the highlights is a lot of fun, but how the Mavericks get through some of the grit and grime ends up being really something worth reading. And Josh has done a great job with this. I don't know. I feel like the Miami Heat series is getting played next week. Am I making that up? Yeah, because they are playing game five actually right now. Um, and then they'll take a three-day break. So yeah, they'll they'll play. They'll start the Miami series next week. Okay. Okay. So, well, you guys have that to look forward to, and then I'm looking forward to talking about that game. Uh, right back. Uh, we're going to come right back after a short break from our sponsor. Stick with us. We'll appreciate it. Hello, everybody. It's still Josh and Kirk with Mavs Moneyball after dark. Uh, you know, we came to you guys last Thursday night, and that morning, uh, one of our wonderful writers had put together a a a tournament of his top 16 favorite one-year Mavs it was uh, Kevin Stump and he a little bit to our chagrin but you know I, I just kind of turned him loose and said write whatever you want to write he essentially ranked according to his own favorite one-year Mavericks the ones that he could pull from and then gave them a one through 16 seating and you know encouraged uh voting both on Twitter and online and ended up totaling everything or on our on our site and on twitter totaling up the votes and you know you put he put together four articles uh over the last week where he essentially let our our readers uh you know vote these people in or out however they wanted to and it was it was really really bizarre and i want to <laughs> <laughs> like i i want to take a minute because number one you know i think where he did is he kept things like wind shares uh you know which is a a pretty i don't like using it as a stat because it's not something if i'm like talking to somebody who's not familiar with basketball it's not it's it's just it's hard to explain but it essentially it measures impact it's pretty important and he did things like this in terms of of who he was talking about so i want to go through just you know starting with the 16 and i'm, I'm going to read to you the players that were going up against each other and then who won so starting with the round of 16 the one versus 16 seed was Anton Jamison versus Corey Brewer. Uh, Corey Brewer is a 16 seed, just boggles my mind. Jamison beat him pretty handily. Uh, two versus 15 was Jose Calderon versus Doug McDermott. Uh, Jose at two is an interesting choice, and Jose beat the pants off of him. <laughs> uh, the, the three seed was Zaza Pachulia versus Kevin, or uh, Kevin, good Lord, Peja Stoyak. Stoyakovic and Peja won handily. Good. Uh, four, four versus 13 is where things get a little interesting. It kind of goes that way the rest of the time. OJ Mayo versus um, Amari Stoudemire. OJ somehow won. Uh, we get into like old school people with next with uh, Chris Gatling and Tim Hardaway Sr. And Chris Gatling was a freaking all star and got 
destroyed by Tim Hardaway Jr. Senior, which means to me, I don't think people know who we're even talking about. <laughs> Six versus eleven was Dewan Blair versus Delonte West. Delonte West won. Seven ten was Elton Brand versus Richard Jefferson, and Elton Brand was a really good Maverick for a year, and Richard Jefferson ran him off the floor. Uh, eight versus nine was <laughs> Al Farouk uh, Minu versus Walt Williams, who we talked about last week, and Walt Williams got ran off the floor. Did any like like any like shocking things from that to you, like that you'd really like to to discuss for a minute or two? I mean, it kind of shows the dem- demographic of our site, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, hell, I'll be, you know, I'll be frank. Like the Chris Gatling one, Tim Hardaway one. I was not watching Mavs basketball back back then, really. I mean, my deep dark secret is that my Mavericks consciousness didn't really start until sometime around 2011, not 2011, uh, 2001, 2002-ish. So, uh, sure. I think You're Calvin. Like, how old were you then? Like twelve? Like yeah, that's I was fine. born in eighty nine. <laughs> yeah, so I think that Calvin Booth shot like birthed me into existence. Like that's what, like that's how yeah. I came came around. So uh, yeah, I think that's fine. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of fun, you know. You think about the Dewan Blair one kind of surprised me because I thought I know I thought Delonte West was more of like a really quirky, I love Delonte West. I did too, and I I think that's who I would have voted for. But I just felt like Blair felt like more of the I don't know the chic pick because he was really impactful in that in that playoff mm-hmm. run they had, and they almost upset the Spurs. And him getting suspended for that game kind of is what swung the series. Uh, so I don't know. I just kind of thought, but I love I loved Delonte West. He was such a perfect fit for that team when he was going good. But uh, yeah, it was just fun to think about. Uh, how about this? Another trend is it's kind of depressing to think about how many of those names came <laughs> in like. 2011 on <laughs> you think about the free agency bullcrap and like all these guys are Dirk's teammates while they're trying Mavs are trying to like extend his prime. And I'm just like, Oh, that's a, that's, that's sad. Just yeah. makes me sad. No, it's pretty, it, it, and it's very funny. Cause I've had fans of other teams comment on where it's like, man, the Mavs are really good at signing random big names. They well, were. The round, the round of eight went, you know, Antoine Jameson, uh, who was a one seed beating Al Farouk Aminu as, as an eight seed in a fairly close vote, which is a little odd to me. Uh, then somehow Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, defeated OJ Mayo pretty, pretty handily. Then this is, I just don't know what's happening in this thing. Delonte West lost to Peja Stoyakovich like 88% to 12%, like got ran off the floor kind of thing. Yeah, that's the 2011 title shine. Right. Yeah, but but and and I want to circle back to that. Okay. The last one was Richard Jefferson, and Jose Calderon, and Richard Jefferson uh, was a 10 seed and beat Jose Calderon, which is very interesting to me because Jose Calderon was unbelievably effective for the Mavericks. But yeah, yeah let, let's let's talk about the Peja one because we're going to keep talking about the Peja one because he goes on to the to the final four. Like, what in the do people really you know? He was a he was a guy that came in after the buyouts. He only played like twenty five games as a Maverick. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about here? He, he won a title. He was an All Star. He people remember like I mean, of all the names on this list, you know, it's probably him and Amari that are probably like the most recognizable names. You would think, mm-hmm. like, if you grew up watching basketball in the, in the mid two thousands, uh, 
right. maybe that was it. And then you, you add the championship. Um, but yeah, it's actually funny because watching these read these games uh, after the Portland series, after the LA series, like Peja was not playable <laughs> for the Mavs. Like he he had to play because they didn't really have any wing depth with Karan Butler hurt. I mean, that's the only reason why he's on the team because Butler got hurt. And he, he kind of had to play because they just didn't – they needed to get minutes somewhere because Marion can't play 48 minutes. And every time he was on the floor against the Thunder, it was – it was it was not pretty. So one of the things I just realized this, this is really great podcasting and our fans are our, our loyal, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 people who listen to this like every time we're going to make fun of me. I forgot that Matt – or that Kevin was counting in Twitter votes. So, like, the polls that are on our sites aren't necessarily – reflected because he goes ahead and adds in things so when i said antoine jameson or earlier uh al farouk aminu actually won because he dominated on twitter uh so that guy ends up going to and and that actually does track a little more with what we're talking about but that's where you know if you're if we're at the championship right now and let me see what the twitter vote is as well just to give it a a a look-see so we don't have a, a a clear winner yet, but it's close enough for government work. And the final, which is Al Farouk Aminu versus Peja, Peja is is winning handily enough to where he should win the whole thing, and and that's just really surprising to me. I don't know why it's it doesn't bother me. I mean, people like who they like. I'm very pleased with Peja. Like I think we should have known that Lamar Odom was trash when 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 Peja locked him down for a couple of possessions against the <laughs> Lakers and uh, it's like like cuz you know Peja was like like the man couldn't move. He could still shoot the ball, but he was what Dirk was in 2019 uh, uh back then. He was just not able to really play a Yeah, lot he retired time. after that year, right? That was it for him. <laughs> yeah. I think. That was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty, the, pretty the Jameson Alfred Camino one that one hurts me just because I have yeah. such a nostalgia boner for Jameson. He was so good well, that year, he was so good, he was so good, and it was reflected in how bad Anton Jameson or Antoine, Antoine Walker was, right? He was just atrocious, like right. unbelievably bad basketball player. And like, like I, I kind of wish Rick Carlisle could have coached him if only to see his head explode. Oh, um. Just, just really fun stuff there. Um, yeah, you know, I think we'll like, like it's, it's something that's going to be interesting to look at as time goes on. Uh, because I, I really like just some of these players are pretty fun. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna get more and more one year players like this. It's not just because the 2011, you know, the Mavs are the Mavs when they get these one year players. It's also because the new CBA, new CBA, the 2011 CBA, <laughs> 20, you know. Like I said, nine years now basically encourages all these short contracts. So it's like you're going to end up like this. The fact that like David Lee didn't make this tournament is very weird to me because Lee was pretty good for Dallas, you know? Yeah, he was okay. I think I got mad at him when he was playing over Dwight Powell, but yeah. I'm, I'm weird about Dwight Powell. So you I'm, are. I know. So I'll just be on my island That's okay. with, Bo- with Bobby. You're okay. Well, so before we get out of here, we got a couple of um, things that I suppose we should just talk about because. You know, there's a little bit of news, but not much. Like the league is kind of seems to be hitting a bit of a tipping point about whether or not they're going to play just because with, you know, if there's no like national uniformity between when things are going to open up, it seems almost impossible paired with the stuff we talked about last Friday with like some of these bubble options. Uh, it just doesn't really seem feasible. You know, Cuban himself even notes that though North Texas has opened up, 
he has said because there's there's just not enough testing available he doesn't re, he doesn't want to open up the, the Mavs practice facility i wonder if that'd be different if luca was still in the united states but for right now you know he said that there's <laughs> that there's not going to be any practicing and and that's it, it's very interesting to hear him say that while you know 10 days ago he's also talking about how confident he is that the league is going to do xyz things so do you have any thoughts on that yeah it was like a sigh of relief just one less thing for me to like make my brain hurt like Mm -hmm. while this is all going on uh because yeah like i i totally don't you know even with all the precautions that they that they're gonna take you know as much as i've been really mad about the way that they're talking about sports coming back uh it seems like the league is at least like if i don't know they're they're trying they're trying to do the right thing even though the right thing is staring them in the face and they don't they don't want to do it but uh it's just it's just it's just good i if you've been listening to this podcast you know and you follow me on twitter i'm pretty outspoken about it so i feel like i'm beating a dead horse at this point but i'm just i'm just glad there's a little bit of common sense here like it really just it's not worth it yet uh these guys are professional athletes they are well off professional athletes they there are ways for them to stay in shape without having to open up facilities and get people interacting with each other in ways that they probably shouldn't right now. So, you know, there's just, just not there yet. You know, we're, we're, we're just not there yet. I don't think. Well, before we get out of here, I got one more question for you. Have you watched any of the last dance on ESPN? So I've been pretty bad about it. I've watched the first two episodes and I've been MIA uh, for the rest of them, which are like, yeah so that's um, okay but i will say there are two so if you watch the first two and the second one there is a glimpse of rick carlisle getting roasted alive by michael jordan i saw that one that was great there in in episode five uh it, it starts off with the 1998 or 96 I think it might have been 90. It, it was the last all-star game Jordan was a part of with the Bulls. That'd and yeah. yeah, so Larry Bird is the coach of that all-star team for the East. And it's really worth watching for the first 10 minutes because he the way Jordan talks about Kobe was hilarious. Like it was, you know, I, I get pretty annoyed about the Kobe Jordan stuff. But it was really like it was, it was great content. And it's also incredible to watch how the other all-stars are are kind of in in awe of jordan like you can just like there's a physical like like kind of gap between him and everybody else where people are afraid to piss him off it's like a bunch of people trying to be you know uh close to the popular kid in school but then right before they they get away from this uh for the they cut away from the all-star game there's a brief glimpse of of magic johnson who comes in to talk and then as he's leaving, he shakes Larry, uh, Larry Bird's hand. And right next to Larry Bird is a full, thick-haired Rick Carlisle laughing his butt off. And it's <laughs> just so off-putting to see Carlisle with hair. I don't know. <laughs> but then, you know, the, the, that also made, you know, Mark Cuban always wanted to help us with S, uh, search engine optimization. Uh, gave a quote to say that the Mavericks tried to sign Jordan 
1998, which I don't know how he would know because he wasn't, I know he was a season ticket holder at that point, but it's really great to just know uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Cuban is always willing to give us easy to talk about content. Did you, so I told you this, you weren't even aware of it. So what was your first reaction when I told you before the podcast? Well, I was just, it's just great that Cuban will, he will not, never turn down an interview, which is great for us. And so wait, is the story that when did he say he wanted, because Jordan didn't come back till what, the 01, 02 season, I think, or uh, so wasn't Cuban an owner of the team when he came back? Is that what he was saying? He was trying to sign him for that right before he signed with, you know, came back with the Wizards? Okay, let's see here. Shout out to Mike Fisher from uh, uh, Sports Illustrated Dallas, uh, Maven site, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, the day he signed with the Washington Wizards to come back, David Fox said I should go meet him. Uh, he said this on on uh, 105.3, the fans G-Bag Nation. Um, I understand that's their high, highest rated show, but that is a terrible name. Um, good, uh, uh, Anyways. And and uh, Cuban goes on to say, I was trying to convince him not to sign with them and instead do something with the Mavs. And that's just, I don't know if that's true. I, it's just great quotes, just great <laughs> stuff there. I mean, of course he would say that, right? Right, it's perfect. I, I like, I, and you know what, it makes sense with some of the weird stuff that he did those early years, like the Rodman experience, which is oh, another yeah. thing. You know, I, I vaguely remember it. Like some of the photos are great, mainly because of the Mavs jerseys and those and, and a couple of the uh, 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 Dirk and Rodman things are really out there. But, you know, I'm just I'm just glad he's out there thinking of us, thinking of the content, <laughs> you know, it's the least he could do for us. It is. Well, guys, I don't really have anything else to say. Josh and I always manage to go a little more than we want to, but I think that's good because we like talking to each other. Uh, We'll probably reconvene next week after uh, you're able to write about whichever Miami Heat game you write about and talk about this because I'm really getting a kick out of these. Okay. Yeah, that'll be game four. I think it's game four. Yeah, game Mm -hmm. four. Yep. And so I don't know how much longer we're going to be doing these because i feel like we're squeezing um blood from a stone there is <laughs> we really a, are you know, sb nation our our parent site has has really been great at sending us prompts next week is also uh you know uh the the what if week and so hopefully we might have some other things to talk about just kind of looking back i do you know once the season ends we're going to be able to churn out some kind of our regular content but until then we're going to keep coming to you probably, you know, once every seven to 10 days, just to talk a little bit, just to keep you guys interested. We're glad you uh, listen to the podcast. You got anything else, Josh? No, that's about it. You about summed it up. We'll maybe when next time we talk to you, we'll have a little bit more definition about the season finality. And then maybe we can like, you've been dying to get to our off season like plan. And maybe we could finally start doing that. It, I just yeah. want to be I just want to be ruthless to our staff and start assigning stuff like I'm like J. Jonah Jameson and be like, <laughs> get me more Maverick content. Yeah. Either way. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Josh and Kirk with Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Everyone have a good weekend. Yeah.